Thank you very much. Let's open our Bibles today, please, to the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. Book of Joshua, thank you. I'd like to talk to you this morning about what happens after a spiritual victory. I'm sure that all of us here in this church this morning would like to uh, be able to have a spiritual victory at least once, one a day. Uh, but uh, as we study our way through the book of Joshua, we, saw, we see that spiritual victories are not always available for us. Not because, not because of God and his will, but because of us and our will. I direct your attention this morning to Joshua chapter 6, first of all, the last verse, verse 27. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout all the country. Joshua and the nation of Israel were famous at this time. And I know that you've seen a lot of famous people in our, in our world, and they're put up on a pedestal. And usually after they're put up on a pedestal, what happens? Well, they fall off, don't they? Uh, it's hard for them to stay up on that pedestal that we put them on. Uh, the same is true with the nation of Israel. Uh, they were having a good day at the end of chapter 6. But something happened. Verse, chapter 7, verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass, a sin, regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. This is interesting to me because Achan here is pointed out as the perpetrator. Uh, whenever the city, the walls of Jericho came down, God said, listen, no spoils for you. Don't take anything for yourself. But uh, Achan couldn't resist the temptation. And so he disobeyed the Lord. And uh, God's anger was poured out on the whole nation. Now follow me. Uh, for the sin of this one single person. God is angry with the nation of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth Haven, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. The walls of Jericho just came down. They're going on to their next exploit, their next obstacle in colonizing the, the um, nation of Israel or the Canaan land. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shadrim, and struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. How easily the tide turns from a group of people that were extremely successful now to a group of people that were unsuccessful. And look at jo Joshua's reaction in verse number 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. 
he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads, Joshua was crushed. He said, Lord, alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us. Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. O oh Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off your name from the earth. And what will, they, and what will you do for your great name? So the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie there on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put a, among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you any more unless you destroy the accursed thing from among you. Verse 13, get up, sanctify the people, and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is a sin, there is a, an accursed thing in your midst. O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you have taken away the accursed thing from among you. This story in the book of Joshua is a story of Christian growth. We wish that every step we make would come out a winner. We wish that we could defeat every enemy in front of us. Uh, that's all possible through God. Uh, but uh, our own will gets in the way of us doing that. We've been on a journey these last uh, few weeks in the book of Joshua. And remember, we've talked about Joshua has a lot of pictures, uh, a lot of things that are to happen in the future uh, by typology. Uh, the nation of Israel was delivered from Egyptian bondage. Remember, Egypt is a type of the world. Pharaoh is a type of the devil. Uh, the devil will never let anyone go. I'm sure you've uh, discovered that as a believer. Pharaoh, remember, he kept his grips on the people. He relented for a minute when God put the pressure on, but as soon as the pressure was off, he, uh, he took the people again. I'll not let the people go. He's a perfect picture of Satan. Satan will always do that. Uh, they walked through the wilderness in unbelief. They didn't go into the promised land because they didn't believe. And for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness uh, because they failed to believe in the Lord. A whole nation was lost. Then Joshua was finally became the leader. And uh, he said, okay, I'm going to take you into the promised land now. He crossed the Jordan River. God opened the way across the Jordan. All these people went across. And uh, their first obstacle was Jericho. Uh, and last week we talked about that. Usually when we come to Christ, there's always a big obstacle right after that. Things that we like want to remove out of our life. Things that need to go. Things that we have been unable to conquer heretofore. And so we, uh, we pray and the Lord brings the walls down. Jericho. The walls come down. Uh, it's a wonderful feeling. Uh, we've been moving on from one obstacle to the next. 
the Christian growth, the uh, Christian life is a, is a life of obstacles, isn't it? Warfare and victory. Attacking one stronghold after another. You know, when we come to Christ as an adult, we bring uh, him some broken pieces of our life, don't we? Can I hear an amen? We bring the Lord broken pieces. And uh, we begin to deal with our own obstacles because, you know, you can't really deal with your own obstacles until you have the power of the Holy Spirit, right? It just doesn't work. But when you have the Holy Spirit, you're, you can say, hey, listen, I got this big obstacle in my life. It's my Jericho. And I believe that the walls can come down. And so what we do is we step out on faith. We do exactly what the Lord wants us to do. And the walls come crumbling down. Uh, we begin with our own. And then what happens is when you become a Christian, you become a whole lot less self-centered. You know, before you become a Christian, life is a lot about yourself, isn't it? What you want. But when you, when you have the life of Christ and you have the Holy Spirit, uh, you become a pastor, so to speak, for the people in your circle of influence. And they start coming to you because you know the Lord, and they say, hey, will you pray about this? And you know, when they ask you to pray about something, you know what they're asking you to do? They're asking you to come against the strongholds in their life, the obstacles, the Jerichos in their life, to pray that they will fall down. And so you have just been introduced to a whole new world of warfare, and you never knew that before. You thought when you came to Christ, uh, your name, of course, is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. God puts a stamp on your passport to heaven. And, uh, and you're going to get up on, our, on that cloud and look down on everything. But you're not on that cloud. You're down there where the bullets are flying. You're down there in the midst of the war. But God has a victory for you. And we've seen it, and, and uh, we saw it here in the book of Joshua with Jericho. The first point on your notes is this, the disaster at Ai. Uh, this is a disaster. Joshua sent out a reconnaissance team and they came back and they said, listen, Ai is easy. Now, here's a great lesson. We look at the obstacles in the Christian life and, and we sometimes we classify them, oh, that's hard, that's easy. We should look at them all as being hard unable to conquer in our own self through our own abilities and ingenuity. All of them are hard if we don't have the Lord with us, even little Ai. Ai was a small city, only 12,000 in population. They thought, that, hey, this is gonna be a snap. We're gonna, we're gonna conquer this little place, but they were in for a surprise. God laid the fault of the defeat of Ai at the, feet, uh, at the feet of the nation of Israel. Joshua fell into despair. Joshua was depressed. This shows to me how fragile Christian leaders really are. You know, when the walls of Jericho came down, probably people were saying, Joshua is the man. He is the man. And I think that if Joshua, if he had any kind of manhood at all about him, he probably went home, closed the door, looked in the mirror and said, I'm the man. You know, uh, he started believing what other people were saying about him. But you know, when you start doing that, uh, a crash is right around the corner. 
when people start giving too many high fives for the spiritual victories in their life. And so now we find Joshua, who just a minute ago was saying, listen, I'm the man. He's on his face before God in depression. He's put uh, dirt on his head. He tore his clothes. He's called his advisors in. And he says, listen, I want you to do the same thing. We've got to repent because there's sin in the camp. And when these people saw the depression of Joshua, they became depressed. In fact, the Bible says right here in verse number five, the heart of the people melted. Uh, this description was previously used of the Canaanites. Now it's used of the Israelites. How quickly the tables are turned in the Christian life. The winner becomes the loser. The loser becomes the winner. This isn't the way it was supposed to be. Uh, they were supposed to go up at, to little AI and just take over the city as easily as possible. And so sometimes this is what happens to you and this is what happens to me. Uh, you know, we go on to the next obstacle and we are defeated. And we say, this is not the way it's supposed to be. I suffered a defeat. Uh, Joshua has the weight of the world on him right now. He's the leader. All eyes are on him. And how is he taking it? He's confused. He has dust on his head. Do you know that leaders are sometimes the most lonely people? People don't realize that, but that's true. They're expected to lead a winning team all the time, aren't they, if you're a leader? But it doesn't happen. Leaders are human. They're as human as other people are. And I think a lot of times people don't really realize that. Uh, they look at Joshua and they say, oh, he's special. He's a special breed. He can handle any depression. Uh, he can handle anything. Listen, he's on his face before God right now and he's crushed. And you know what? He's second guessing himself. Verse number seven, he says, we should have dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Now listen, he's questioning the whole mission. This is how fragile most leaders really are. Leaders don't take defeats very well. He's actually questioning God. You know, God, should we be doing this at all? Should we be going into the promised land? Well, you know, if the people really knew that Joshua was saying here, uh, they'd feel for him. Uh, I think one of the things that really hurt him was the fact of the death of these 36 men. Uh, he, never, he never believed that that would happen. Now, here's the big lesson behind all of this. Are you ready? It means that Israel could be defeated in the promised land. And you know, we spend so much time bringing people to Christ. Come to Christ, get a new life. Jesus will give you eternal life. Jesus will give you life abundant. But we say very little about the promised land and the defeats that they can have as a Christian. Their hopes were dashed. They had unrealistic expectations. We should win every battle, right? And so he began to talk to the Lord and he said, Lord, what are they going to think about you if we can't handle our enemies? The testimony of God. Uh, this shows that Joshua's, Joshua's overriding concern was for the glory of God. You know, when you and I are defeated as a Christian, what happens to the name of God? Right? 
Our greatest disappointment is to stumble and that the great name of God would be reproached. You know, whenever we go to work and we go there and we say, listen, I'm a Christian now. I'm a new person. I go to church on Sunday. I, I don't sleep in anymore. We put ourselves out there and we declare these things and we put God's name on the line. And when we falter, people say, what about the God that he said he's serving? Isn't he big enough? Well, Joshua is depressed. He's talking to God and God finally denounces this sin and he says in verse number 10 get up and go back to the battle and what is the battle the battle is holiness holiness God saw genuine humility and repentance in the life of Joshua and he said listen I see that stop praying it's time to act what do we do after defeat Now I know that some Christians have had plenty of defeats and have been demoralized but what are we supposed to do after a defeat? We're supposed to get up, dust ourselves off, repent of our failure, confess the error of our way, and go on and move on in the battle. That's what we should do. God threatens them here. He said, if you don't root out the sin in the camp, I'm not going to go with you. Well, that prompted Joshua to do some pretty heavy thinking. Uh, somebody in the camp, Achan, took things for his own use. You know, God has made it clear here in the Bible that uh, those things were to be destroyed. And the gold and the silver was to be put into his treasury and everything else was to be destroyed. No spoils for the people. Adolf Hitler moved across Europe and he stole everything he could get his hands on. He stole all the gold, all the silver, all the diamonds, all the paintings, everything of value Hitler stole. They're still finding things, I think, that Hitler stole back during that war. And uh, here we find that Aiken is doing the same thing. He's supposed to destroy these things or bring them into the treasury, but he stole them. You know, Paul speaks in similar terms concerning the church regarding sin among the Corinthian church. He said, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. A small amount of sin can infect the whole group. They couldn't stand before the people. They became part of the problem. You know, sin is so devastating, as you know, that God de dealt with the sin of Jericho. In fact, the whole city was destroyed. Now, follow me, God, God is dealing with the sin in the nation of Israel. The Bible says judgment must begin at the house of God. You know, it's easy for you and me to look at the news and say, oh, boy, this America is deplorable. It's despicable in some of the ways that it, that it acts right now. It's easy for us to do that. But you know, more importantly is what's going on in the church. Because the church is the, is the thermometer, the barometer that God uses to conquer the evil in the world. For instance, 2 Chronicles 7.14 says this, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. 
And so we spend so much time putting other people down when we should be looking at ourselves, finding out, hey, what's wrong with me? And that's exactly what's happening right here in Joshua chapter 7. Uh, God says to Joshua, you've got to find out what's going on in your group. Sin always has its consequences. It's an offense to God's holiness. Galatians 6, 7 says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Achan stole what belonged to God. Someone in Israel took the things that were devoted to God, kept them for his own. Well, uh, this is interesting. Uh, the Bible says that we can do the same thing. You know, God has blessed you with another day. We call, we call today the present, don't we? It is a present. You got up today, you looked in the mirror, and you were vertical. And you said, thank God I have another day. But you know, God holds you accountable for what he's given you. He holds you accountable for your time. God's given you another day to serve him. He holds you accountable for your talents. He's given you special gifts and abilities that other people don't have. And he holds you accountable for your treasure, the, the money he puts in your pocket. Uh, those things aren't yours. They belong to God. Without God, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have anything. You wouldn't have time. You wouldn't have any talent. And you wouldn't have any money. And so... There's a special portion of all of that that belongs to God. And we have to be careful in the church that we don't rob God of those things that he's given us for his work. For instance, in the Old Testament, the Bible says in Leviticus 27, 30, uh, God says, listen, a portion of your income belongs to me. It's holy. It belongs to me. I use it in the Lord's work. I support the ministry of the Levites and the priests with that money. And so those people knew that and they... Uh, they knew that they shouldn't withhold that. Uh, the New Testament teaches us that, that uh, giving is important of our time, our talent, and our treasure. Uh, I want to encourage you, always be faithful in giving God the time that he wants from you, the talent that you have. Give it back to him. Uh, he gave it to you for, for that purpose. And, and especially the money. Someone told me one time that... Uh, Tithing is not God's way of raising money necessarily. It's God's way of raising Christians. It's God's way of showing us, listen, we're making a statement. We're saying, listen, we believe that everything we have comes from you, Lord. And so we believe it so much that we're going to render part of that back to you because we love you. I should have said that six weeks ago before your vacation, right? Somebody comes back to church and says, the pastor's talking about giving. Well, it's too late. I spent three weeks on the beach. Uh, verse number 13, look at it. Get up, sanctify the people, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. This is the problem. Uh, the people needed to be ready for battle. And, and so, do you have any battles out there facing you in the future? We have many, don't we? We have many in our own life, and we have many in the lives of the people that we connect with. And the only way that we can ever win those battles is to be separated to God, to be holy. Uh, I, I found here in my study of this passage of Scripture 
that God here gave Achan a, a short window to repent right here. Verse number 13, a day. God gave Achan the right to consider his sin and come to repentance. And had he done that, he maybe wouldn't have lost his life at the end of the story. But he didn't do that. Uh, dealing with sin, Achan is the guy. Uh, this is what happens uh, whenever people take things that belong to God. Uh, God removes his hand of blessing. Uh, he was brought before the high priest. And it's interesting, as you study this whole story in verse number 16 and verse number 17, God gets all the people together and he, and, and he says, I'm going to find out who is the person that stole this from God. And it's, it's, it's actually very ingenious. And I was reading a, a very interesting commentary on this subject, and the commentator said back in that day they had a, a high priest wore a vest, and on his vest he had 12 stones, each one uh, representing one of the nations of Israel. And one commentator said that maybe whenever they came to the tribes, that uh, these stones were glowing, and one of the, the glow in one of the stones went out. It went out. And it was the stone of Judah. It was the stone of Judah. And so uh, maybe they did it that way. Other commentators think maybe it was just simply the casting of lots. They had a system of how to do that. But eventually they worked through that whole process and they got down uh, to the end and they come and they find that it is Achan in verse number 18. Achan. We found him. And he begins to explain what happened in his life that caused him to rob from God, rob the things from God. He saw, verse number 21, that's where it all begins, doesn't it? Whenever we do the wrong thing, it usually always begins through the eye gate. Where else could it begin? Years ago, we used to sing a little song to the children in Sunday school. Some of you will remember it. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. How many people remember that song? Raise your hand. Quite a few. And it goes on. I'll tell you, it is really good. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. There's a Father up above and he's looking down in love. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. And it says, be careful, little hands, what you do. Be careful, Little feet where you go. Be careful, little mouth, what you say. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. We have to guard the things that we see. You know that? Because that's the eye gate. That's the beginning of the end in our life. And so we spend a lot of our time going through life looking away from things. Because everywhere we look, there's something bad going on, right? Everywhere we look, that there's temptation. And we have to kind of go around like this. I, I want to encourage you today, even though you and, you and I are living in a world of such depravity, that alone is not sin. For you to go into a situation and see a bad scene or something that's unholy, that moment is not sin. It becomes sin when we entertain it, when we don't turn away from it, when we don't go on from it. 
That's when it becomes sin. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 says abstain from all appearance of evil. Uh, that's a full-time job, isn't it? Stop looking at it. First of all, he saw. Secondly, he coveted it. Thirdly, he took it. And lastly, he concealed it. Uh, it was a secret sin. And, and this, is, I think, is important for you and me today. There are things in our life that only we know. Secret sins. Uh, the children of Israel could not stand before God because of this man's secret sin. Now let me say today that our position in Christ is secure. But our fellowship is what this is about. Uh, and consequently the blessing with him is hindered by our own sin. We can't stand before our enemies. And so we're going to walk out of this church today and, and we're going to walk through this minefield of enemies. And if we have sin harbored in our heart, the presence of God, we forfeit his power. And I'll tell you what, you can't fight this battle that God has put in front of you in your own power. And this story is living proof of it right here. They went up to Ai. They said, hey, listen, we can do this. We'll handle this. And they were a complete failure. And that's what happens to us. We can't do this. We can't fight the smallest battle without the strength of the Lord because this is a spiritual battle. That's why. Well, lots of things happened here as a result of this. A lot of innocent people got hurt. Collateral damage. Sin is like a ripple, you know. It's there in the center and the ripples just keep going out and out. His family paid the price. What is our response? Uh, our response is this. Uh, we, got, we get into trouble with uh, confident pride, don't we? Uh, and uh, we think, well, we can really handle this thing. Whenever we have a spiritual victory, uh, we need to give God the glory for that victory, no matter how big or how small it is. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, By the grace of God, I am what I am. One of the glaring omissions in this whole story is the lack of prayer. They were celebrating the walls of Jericho coming down and nobody was thinking about a prayer meeting. We can do this thing. And whenever you think you can do this thing, you can't do this thing. And so they should have had a little prayer meeting and said, hey, let's, let's go up and take it now. Disobedience, sin. Uh, this is what God wanted them to root out in the nation of Israel, and this is what God wants you to root out and me to root out in our life. To look down in our life and to keep short sin accounts. Because sin is kind of a cumulative, you know, it keeps building up in our life and we don't deal with that and we don't deal with this and before long, we're, we're essentially ineffective as a Christian. Because the power of God just kind of is sapped away because our fellowship is broken with the Lord. Um, by the way, Achan's name means trouble. And whenever you and I do things that are secret and sinful in our life, we cause trouble. Now, never take the victory for granted. Uh, Defeat is possible, but not inevitable. Keep those short sin accounts. 
I heard a story about a famous pastor one time, I think he was in England, and he was so conscious of always keeping short sin accounts. I think that's a good term for us to remember. Uh, and he was going across the street with some people, and he stopped in the middle of the street, and they said, what are you doing? And uh, they, he said, you know, I'm making things right with God right now because he brought to my attention something that was not right in my heart with him. And I want to take care of it right now. Well, I urge you, don't stop in the middle of the street to do that, okay? But he wanted to keep short sin accounts because he wanted to be always walking in fellowship with the Lord and communion with Christ. And here's my closing passage today, Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. It says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. See if there is any wicked way in me, and then lead me in the way everlasting. This is a great prayer to pray to God. God, search me. Search my heart. You know, many of us have let God into our heart, but we've kept some of the corners of our heart away from God. And we confess this thing to God because we know it's wrong, and we confess this thing to God because we know it's wrong, but there is this over here that is off limits to God. And that's the problem in our life. That area, those areas that we will not let God search and look into. Because those are the things that are hinder our walk with Christ. We kind of forget that. And so whenever we pray this prayer to God, we're saying, okay, God, I give you permission now to put your spotlight on my heart and look all over it and in the corners too. That off-limits spot over there. Light it up and see if there is any wicked way in me and then lead me out. Lead me in the way everlasting. And whenever we do that, uh, we begin to walk in fellowship with the Lord and we can stand before our enemies. Follow me, please. We can stand before our enemies. If we have these hidden secret things in our heart that have severed our fellowship with the Lord, our enemies will defeat us and we'll be discouraged as a Christian. And we'll think that God is not on our side. He is on our side. But everyone, we get these things all worked out with God. And we keep this line of communication over with him. Uh, we're going to have not only a big victory at Jericho, but we're going to have a victory at Ai and all the other spots that we have to have victories in. It's all a matter of holiness in our life. It really is. And whenever that issue is solved and continually is being solved, we can stand before our enemies. And I want to encourage you, uh, the mature Christian life is too important for us not to be able to stand before our enemies because you're going out there this next week and you're confronting them all over the place. Let us stand before our enemies. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, uh, what is it in your heart that uh, Achan, Achan had this uh, 
thing that he stole? What is it in your heart that has severed fellowship with God? Have you been withholding things that belong to God? Well, that's a problem. Uh, have you uh, had those areas in the corners of your heart that God's not allowed to see? Even though you know he sees, you've never given him permission? Uh, what is it that's uh, blocking your fellowship with the Lord today? Let's ponder this. Let's think about this. And uh, when we leave this church today, let's think about it. Because every single person is going to face your enemies when you leave here. Uh, when you go to work, your whole week long, and you want to be able to stand against your enemies and win. That's the only way you can. Dear Lord, we thank you for this story that uh, jumps right off the page to us in our world today. Uh, help us to keep short sin accounts. Uh, we thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life that convicts us of these areas of brokenness, these areas of separation between you and us. We pray that you will give us the faith to deal with the issues that are stopping us from growing as a Christian. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing our invitation song today. If you'd like to come and pray, please do. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds, by His wounds we are healed. for our transgressions He was crushed for our sins The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him By His wounds By His wounds we are healed We are healed by Your sacrifice Great. 